0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to the Cineco Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China produced in partnership with Sup China. SubChina is the best way for you to keep on top of all the latest news from China in just a few minutes a day with our free email newsletter, our handy smartphone app, and, of course, at the website, subchina.com. It's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. I'm Kaiser Guo, and I am in New York today. I am joined from the thickets and brambles of storied gold corn, holler by Jeremy. Get off my land, gold corn, yeoman, farmer in the Jeffersonian smallholder <laughs> tradition. Jeremy, please greet the people.
0: <laughs> Hello, people. I, I wish I, I was a. F- a Yeoman farmer, uh, you know, I, I'm quite good at chopping down trees like my manly oh, farming good. activities are kind of like George W. Bush clearing scrub, basically. With that lumberjack beard you know, of yours. But farming, been. my wife and I are very good at killing everything we try to grow. So sadly, we will not be eating our own <laughs> homegrown vegetables.
1: <laughs> One day there will be an AI algorithm to solve. I hope so. It's been over a year now since we last talked to Kai-Fu Lee, our guest today, and a lot has happened since then. And all of it makes his new book even more relevant, uh, competition in technology and specifically in technologies that are quite clearly going to play a pivotal role in the economy of the near future. That competition has moved very much to the center of the rivalry between the world's incumbent superpower and its most conspicuous rising rival power, China. Uh, This competition has given rise to considerable anxiety in the US about China's growing prowess in technology. Uh, For many Americans who only three years ago were still being assured that Chinese technologists were capable only of imitation, the sudden spate of news stories we started seeing in 2016 and 2017 about pretty remarkable Chinese innovation was a, a rather rude awakening.
0: The technology that's really at the heart of these new anxieties is, of course, artificial intelligence, or AI. It now touches us quite routinely, and holds out this tremendous promise, but also substantial threat. So Kaifu has
1: just published an excellent book called AI Superpowers, and we are delighted that he could take time out of his super busy schedule to join us again and chat with us about the book and about the state of AI in China and the United States, and AI as an issue of contention between these two countries. So Kaifu, welcome back to Seneca.
0: Well, thank you. It's great to be back. Kaifu, it's great to have you back. You open your book with something that has assumed a kind of mythic proportion, and it was really fraught with symbolism. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to the match between a Chinese Wei Qi or Go champion and a Google AI. There were lots of layers to this. Can you tell us why the AI's triumph uh, would be a real Sputnik moment for China?
2: Uh, certainly. Uh, actually, this began even uh, a little over a year earlier than that with uh, AlphaGo and Li Sedol, but it was uh, accentuated by the beating Kejie, China's pride. Mm-hmm. Uh wei, uh wei qi or go was invented by the chinese it was believed to be something that required not only tremendous iq but also a kind of understanding of the zen and then only really super smart people who also have a you know balanced um wisdom can succeed in the game and um and also a lot of ai experts in the past Uh, including myself, have projected that uh, AI would not be good enough to beat humans in Go because the game is too large and complex, and it would be maybe another 10 or 20 years before AI got that good. But AI became that good in 2016, And uh, it was a game that China took a lot of pride in, so it became a Sputnik moment for the government, uh, entrepreneurs, and VCs uh, who jumped in and said,
1: we got to do more with this. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing thing, I think, I was at the time working in technology and and boy, it really rattled people. Uh, You talk about, though, this current age as not one of discovery, but rather an age of implementation. So how confident are you that all the major discoveries are tapped out? Uh, I mean, what about things like unsupervised learning, I mean, you know, working with unlabeled data, or the possibility I was just thinking, you know, spitballing, you know, that we can set deep learning to the task of actually labeling data more usefully, at least, so that it would be more useful to other AI systems. Is is There's got to be more discovery to be had now.
2: Uh, I think most of the scientists who presented ideas like those, uh, reinforcement learning, transfer learning, and the ideas you talked about, I view as variations on the theme of deep learning. So, uh, the industry, uh, by do Alibaba, Tencent, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, have gotten very good at uh, tweaking the existing algorithms and making them a little bit better, uh, as have the startups in AI. So uh, the AI used to be very uh, mystical, only uh, maybe a thousand people knew how to do a great job, and those people who knew became CEOs, uh, some of whom which are billion dollar companies now. But uh, the knowledge of how to tweak AI for practical problems uh, has now uh, reached millions of people. I would say millions of people in U.S., China, and elsewhere are able to take AI on a practical problem uh, such as uh, finance, retail, manufacturing, education. Uh, healthcare, and build solutions that either make money or save money. So I think we've shifted to the age of uh, implementation where China excels and arguably is uh, caught up with the U.S. and may be leading the U.S. over the next five years. Now, how likely will a research breakthrough, a true breakthrough, uh, come come out? Uh, I think it's hard to say. It's certainly possible. But if we look back on the last 62 years of AI development, only one gigantic breakthrough, deep learning, has come out. To project
0: that five more will come in the next 10 years would seem a bit unlikely to me. Sure, sure. Kaifu, one part of the book that particularly resonated for me was your description of Chinese entrepreneurs, and I think Kaiser will probably agree with me that since the nineteen nineties, one of our favorite sort of type of characters, you know, in Beijing and across China, has been the plucky Chinese tech entrepreneur who maybe knows absolutely nothing about the field they go into and just through sheer pluck. Uh, you know, ends up winning. Uh, I think your book might actually be the best uh, book I've seen in English of the history of the development of China's internet as told through this unending series of knockdown, drag out fights amongst ruthless and cunning entrepreneurs. It was really entertaining uh, as well as being informative. You describe these guys as gladiators who have to go out onto the sands in the Colosseum and fight to the death which sounds to me like uh, Tuesday morning in Zhongguan Sun. Uh, (laughs) uh, At first, uh, it was all about copying. The C2C model, copy to China, ruled the day. And you said something really interesting, that basically the best thing to come out of the copycat era was China's scrappy entrepreneurs. Could you talk about that a little bit, please? Uh, Certainly. Uh,
2: I think Silicon Valley really frowns upon uh, copycatting. Uh, First, let me separate copycat from um, IP infringement, Mm -hmm. we're talking more about Facebook uh, copying Snapchat, something that is legal but frowned upon. Uh, That was how China began its uh, internet uh, days, when there was the uh, Google of China, Amazon of China, Yahoo of China, and so on. I worked for the Google of China. (laughs) (laughs) I competed against the Google of China. and uh, I think those companies were just the early days because I- imagine, uh, the, ch- the penet- at the time Google was founded, uh, U.S. internet penetration was 30% and China was 0.2%. To expect such a small market for people to have the same brilliance, uh, it's, it's not very likely. Uh, and also, I certainly concede that someone who continuously copycats and doesn't ever innovate will not be a, a great entrepreneur, will not become an amazing company and will not be worthy of respect by other people. But the Chinese entrepreneurs really started by copying and then using copying as a way to understand how to build products, understand customers, iterate, and pivot. Kind of the lean startup uh, startup process. That got us uh, to a certain point. And then a large market with a huge amount of data took that to the next step so the chinese entrepreneurs found that with larger data they were able to build even better products and apply ai and win more customers and that just continued to snowball until the chinese entrepreneurs had enough experience and enough data to really use operational excellence plus iterative company building plus ai to build a lot of companies that don't exist in the U.S.
1: Right, right. So you, you make this very compelling case, I think, for why China will have better data, not just more data. Well, they would be a, a qualitative, not just a quantitative advantage to China for at least some important applications of deep learning. If I may paraphrase, it's, it's because of these Chinese super apps. You know, we have... Uh, the Swiss Army knife apps, like uh, like we seen, of course, in Meituan and and Alipay, I mean these harvest not just search results and occasional you know e-commerce purchases, but actually huge amounts of 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 mobility data from bike share, for example, uh, food delivery, and who knows what else. Up, uh, but you also point out how they they can have all this data, uh, and you you talk about the two different strategies of of going heavy versus going light and contrasting the U.S. and, and, and China. Uh, so tell us about these uh, qualitative and not quantitative differences uh, with U.S. and Chinese data.
2: Uh, Sure. I think it's actually deeply rooted in the Silicon Valley spirit and the Chinese spirit. Silicon Valley spirit is let's build a tech layer, Mm -hmm. uh, keep uh, capital investment uh, very light, and just do the tech and leave the heavy lifting and and the ugly and hard to manage stuff to outsource to other companies or or partner with them.
1: You're so clear that hard to manage and getting dirty, the role. What is that? So this is like fulfillment and exactly right
2: uh so let's take an exa- example in american company yelp it's a great convenience uh, addition to the way people eat out but in china meituan dared to change the way people eat by delivering food to your home in 30 minutes including the cooking time to pretty much anybody's home and each a person would have a selection of 500 or more restaurants that could deliver uh, any kind of cuisine within 30 minutes, and the delivery charge was on the order of uh, 70 cents. So getting to that required incredible AI as well as operational excellence, the nitty gritty work of, you know, Meituan had to hire uh, 600,000 people. Put them on electric bikes with battery-changing stations, paid them fairly minimal wages, but with the equivalent of Uber reverse surge pricing to encourage them when to hop on the bike because they could make two dollars an hour rather than a dollar fifty an hour. So that managing that kind of network of uh, operations. And going beyond the technical company to go heavy and having to bring so many people on board and deal with all the issues uh, with uh, delivery, dissatisfaction, how to train uh, these uh, delivery people to have uh, sufficient courtesy and feedback and get rid of the people who get fewer star ratings. It's a very heavy, ugly business, also fraught with risk right. uh, because uh, it had to get to 70 cents to break even. And 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 for many years it was at a seventy or two dollars seventy and at twenty mi- twenty five million deliveries per day, a dollar seventy means you're losing twenty five million dollars a day. So imagine the guts it takes to go into a business where you're losing $25 million a day, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> hoping and believing and chopping off a few cents every month so that you can get to break even.
1: But the payoff was that now if data is the new oil and China is now the Saudi Arabia of data as you say.
2: Yes, so the data didn't come from nothing from just being collected. The data came from doing the operational excellence work. A uh, Yelp could not have that kind of data. And once you have that data, you've also built a very, very uh, deep and wide moat hmm. so that your nearest competitor, if they want to copy you, well, are they going to also burn a few billion dollars and iterate and figure out how to do 600,000
0: people on electrical mobile? Huge mopeds? barrier to entry. It's a
2: huge barrier to entry. Right, right.
0: And it's something that's not even possible in the United States. I mean, because of labor issues, right? I mean, you need the Chinese labor pool for this to work, don't you?
2: Well, sure, there are many factors that go into it, but let's take DD as an example, right? Uber is still a thin layer connecting drivers with uh, passengers. But in China, DD is buying up gas stations, car repair shops, car loan uh, companies, and car leasing companies. They're creating a very tight stronghold for the driver by giving them all these benefits, you know, gasoline, insurance, etc., at a discount. But the moment they put a competitor's uh, app on their phone, they're kicked out. So that would be another way. That that would uh, uh. keep a uh, very big moat uh, from your competitor. Wow! But wow. Uh, but the high tech company wow. buying an insurance um, or or doing a JV on insurance or buying a gas stations that's unthinkable
0: in the US. Right. But it's actually <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah. good business if you can manage it. So Kefu, I can see how this you know amazing data means that uh, the Chinese rocket fuel to use that metaphor is higher octane. And this leads me to two questions. The first is, can this advantage travel beyond China or doesn't that even matter? And the second question is, given that you know Chinese rocket fuel is so excellent, how scared should we be of an increasingly authoritarian state armed with pervasive surveillance technology and the world's best AI?
2: Well, China has traditionally, uh, Chinese companies have traditionally just focused on China because that was a huge market. Yeah, it is a huge market. and And the opportunity cost of going to another country has been not worth it. However, China market is starting to saturate and Chinese companies are now flooded with cash. So they have to tell, uh, sell the next story to the shareholders or investors. So certainly a lot of Chinese companies are starting to go abroad. There are basically two types. One is giants, such as Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, Didi, um, and uh, um uh, to, the to the to yeah. 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 Uh, they're going abroad. And Xiaomi, of course. Right. Uh, the way they're going about is quite clever. Rather than taking a monolithic platform, such as a Google, Facebook uh, would go, uh, they're partnering with the local insurgents to fight against American companies. That is, when Uber is speeding up some local ride-sharing company, because Uber has better technology, DD would not only fund and own a part of a local company, they would supply the AI technologies so that the the mobile app is more reliable and the rides come sooner. So that's gaining share. Similar things are being done by Alibaba, by investing in Paytm in, in India and so on. That's the first method. The second method is actually pure digital startups are either going out themselves, such as uh, Total right. uh, uh, TikTok Douyin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is quite popular in Africa nowadays.
1: It was huge in America. It was like the most downloaded app on the App Store for many weeks in a row. Yeah, that's
2: right. So it's going abroad, and uh, if if the companies themselves are not doing it, uh, many Chinese copycats are copying the Chinese innovations into Southeast Asia, um, Middle East, and Africa, and to a lesser extent, South America. So projected over time, I would expect uh, US to continue to be by far the leader and perhaps unchallenged leader in the developed countries. But in all the other countries, China is pretty much gonna be a major force to be uh, reckoned with. On your second question, I don't think the state Has the data. I think people assume the state has the data. The state may have some data, but the companies that uh, operate actually own the data. It's rarely taken by the state. We as a VC and our AI Institute have never received any requests for our data. Uh, The companies we invested in uh, generally have data requests only when it's a, let's say, government purchased uh, app for a government application. Of course, then they have the data or occasionally when, when they want to essentially issue a warrant for the data. So I think the theoretical concern that a lot of people have just isn't
0: in practice happening. Hmm. kai you talk about an important moment of divergence uh, when Chinese entrepreneurs no longer had to tailor their pitches and business plans to the tastes of foreign venture capitalists, but could instead take Chinese approaches to solving Chinese problems. Tell us about that moment and when you realized that it had happened. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was circa 2013. Yeah, that's about right. I think uh, currently there
2: is a parallel universe in China where the Chinese VCs fund the Chinese companies who build products for Chinese customers, and similar to the correlate in America. I think, uh, actually, I want to say a few words <laughs> in favor of America since we're talking about so many great things about China. Uh, uh, first, uh, this is not a zero-sum game right? because it's not as though Tencent or, tic, uh, or TikTok or uh, DD. For every share they gain, there's a loss on the America side. For the most part, the customers is, are separate. So everybody can gain from AI. Uh, it's not that I take one dollar $1 and you have one less dollar. The other thing is that the Chinese, behind the Chinese VC, most of the investors are actually American money. So all of us have been working for America, helping to make pension plans, etc., um, do a lot better than they would otherwise do.
1: Hey, cynical listeners, this week's sponsor is YoYo Chinese, an intuitive and incredibly rich resource for students of the famously difficult Chinese language. Since 2012, YoYo Chinese has helped over 400,000 students to learn to speak Mandarin and read and write Chinese with short video lessons, interactive flashcards, study stats, and other tools to help you stay on track and retain what you've learned. Their conversational courses use natural, unscripted dialogues to help you navigate that daunting task of learning tones, sentence patterns, and pronunciation, all the way up to real-life conversations with native speakers. And the character courses cover the 600 characters that make up nearly 80% of all written Chinese, so now you can realize that long-cherished ambition of reading the theory page in the People's Daily. Or just blow the socks off the waitstaff at the local Chinese restaurant. I certainly wish I had this back when I started studying the language. Man, I still remember just slogging my way through a shoebox full of flashcards back at Beijing Language Institute. Anyway, you can sign up and try the first few lessons of any course for free. And by showing your love of our show, you can save 15% off your purchase by entering promo code SINICA before submitting your order. Head to yoyochinese.com, that's yoyochinese.com, slash SINICA now and see how Yo-Yo Chinese's unique approach makes learning Mandarin possible. Now, back to the show. So most of us who've paid a lot of attention to deep learning have seen now how it's been used in things like image and facial recognition, in speech recognition, uh, in translation. Uh, anything really that requires you to sift through oceanic amounts of, of, of data to show hidden correlations or hidden patterns... Uh, what are some of the applications that you've seen chinese entrepreneurs come up with in the last couple of years that just haven't yet been tried or thought of in the u.s are there some examples of of that a
2: uh, very few theoretical breakthroughs uh, obviously there are but some in, examples in implementation <laughs> yeah in implementation sure uh, for example a loan app oh, uh, right. uh, c- uh, called smart finance that uses uh, data you upload on your phone to the same level uh, as facebook it would look at all the data that you're willing to supply, your contacts, your apps, your phone model, your battery level. And 3,000 features are created to determine if you're worthy of the loan or your likelihood of default.
1: Are there lending institutions using that now?
2: Uh, it can be used by lending institutions, uh-huh. but but largely it's basically money from from banks that are borrowed with to this company, which takes the capital, and gives the lending institution a guaranteed uh, interest rate, Mm. and then keeps all the upside.
1: And it's opt-in, right? Uh, If you are unwilling to share all of your data, you have some control over how much you want to share for processing?
2: Well, if you don't share, you don't get the loan. So
1: so it is (laughs) (laughs) opt-in. If you don't want the loan,
2: you don't have to give the data. Right. (laughs) Uh, Also, uh, I think retail is another big area. Uh, China's actually uh, has been behind the U.S. in retail. Just, uh, you know, the U.S. super malls in the last, uh, you know, two decades ago were the best shopping retail in the world. And China didn't actually copy that very much because e-commerce was also taking off. But now, China, looking back, e-commerce is probably uh, reasonably sat- close to saturation. Mm. And then it's time to think, well, what are the things you want an offline experience? And now it's just the perfect timing because you can put cameras and sensors in stores that can uh, basically measure per user Uh, interest just as the as though you were an online company you can also use uh, cameras and sensors to do smart checkout so you can become cashierless you can make it use it to do uh, sales projection inventory estimates and so on so I think China is going to come up with a lot of highly profitable um, more revenue and profit per square foot kinds of retail innovations because now AI can be layered on top of that, taking advantage of the fact that China was behind in retail and now has a chance to
1: leapfrog. And you think that Silicon Valley is paying close attention to what's happening in the retail space in China and maybe taking some lessons finally? I think Silicon Valley generally
2: does not look at China. I think most of Silicon Valley views the Silicon Valley way, the light way, um, the uh, the visionary way to be the right way hmm. and views China as a copycat, as an insulated market. So it's not relevant. But part of my writing the book, AI Superpowers, is not just for the AI, but to present to American entrepreneurs the Silicon Valley way isn't the only way. Right. Here is another way. Uh, it may or may not work for you. It You may frown upon the approach. You may dislike it. Uh, but it would also be very suitable. Uh, I, I personally believe the Chinese entrepreneur approach will be uh, chronicled
0: in Harvard Business Review case studies in the, in the future. Absolutely. kai fu your book talks about the massive growth of venture capital funding in China, and I, I was astonished. I, th- I knew it was big, but I, I'm not sure if I've got the figures right, but I think it was 3 billion per year in 2013, quadrupling to 12 billion, in 2014 and then doubling again to $24 in 2015. Is that right? And uh, what is the level for 2017? Uh,
2: I think that number is the cumulative government uh, partaking as an LP in VC funds. That is the uh, guiding funds, right? Okay. Yeah. So it's not as large as it seems because the total industry is much, much larger than that. But certainly those are substantial numbers. And those numbers comes with some benefits to the GPs. For example, um, a GP can buy back the government LP shares at an interest rate level within uh, four or five years. So if you start the fund and take 10% government money and you do very well, um, you can actually buy back that 10%. And if you had a 40% annual IRR, you only have to pay the government maybe 5%, the rest is yours. So this is the kind of incentive that uh, Israel, Singapore also have. Right. Uh, and it's a very smart way to invest because uh, gov- no government should become a VC because their pe- professionals were good at it. So governments, by picking VCs, giving them s- some money as passive LPs, and then giving them some additional benefits, that's a very nice knob because the government can choose to give more guiding funds to, say, AI or tech, or semiconductor, or early stage. as So the government's knob becomes at a level where governments can make the right decision, but not at the company entrepreneur level.
1: Government in China, of course, is, as you write in the book, has had its hand on the scale to some extent. And clearly with things like, well, the AI plan, and with Made in China 2025, uh, the Chinese government, and of course, with with this extensive uh, funding of you know acting as an LP, and then giving GPs money and the chance to Buy back their shares. It's it's amazing, uh, but the Chinese government is clearly uh, going to do things like sweep away obstacles in the path, provide certain incentives for entrepreneurs, uh, indeed maybe even subsidize some of the research in the area of AI. Uh, this is what infuriates the U.S. Though hmm. this is what really I mean, for at least in D.C., uh, it's it's industrial policy, and and the U.S. has this allergy to anything. Uh, what, what's behind that? I mean, Japan has long practiced, uh, South Korea has long practiced it, Germany. Um, is it just like free market fundamentalism on the part of, of American politicians? I mean, and couldn't it be said fairly that, that the U.S., and especially its tech industry, has also been the beneficiary of unstated industrial policy as well, especially, I mean, the 1960s and the 1970s with all that defense procurement money going into to really start Silicon Valley in the first place. I mean, your book alludes to things like the Solaris debacle, right and how it's really turned a lot of people off or reinforced this 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 aversion to planning or to government participation in in innovation i have to wonder though what country is actually you know more constrained now by ideology <laughs> well
2: that's a tough question but i can tell you what the chinese government does and the the watchers of the show can decide for yourself whether that's fair practice or not I think the Chinese government does three key things that makes the most difference. One is the central government sets the tone. And actually, those plans, the AI Plan 2030, they don't come with funding. They're just the central government saying, hey, this is important. Right. And then the individual provincial government and city government and state-owned enterprises and private enterprises can make their free choice on what they choose to do. So given the central government said AI is important, some local government might want to say, well, we are manufacturing, let's um, do some AI for manufacturing. Some local government might say, we have great universities, let's boost the AI research funding uh, and so on. And banks will say, well, AI is important. Maybe I'll procure a little bit more AI software. So it does have a benefit. But signaling and tone it's setting. It's really signaling, not the dollars. China is one, not one government, one entity. It's kind of one central government signaling and then local ones can respond correspondingly with its own budget. The second part is a utilitarian policy, which is rather than vetting all the permutations of issues about a technology, letting it launch and see how it goes. If it goes well, uh, then help it. If uh, there are issues, regulate it. If there are huge problems, stop it. So that's how mobile payment took off and displaced credit cards. I mean, credit cards is basically an additional 2% tax on the American economy. Uh, There's no such thing in China anymore, uh, thanks to government's uh, uh, willingness to let Tencent and Alibaba uh, take over, uh, basically. Um, There could be issues with them taking over, but uh, that choice was made because it was uh, good for the people. The third is infrastructure building. So actually, all the AI companies we funded have been privately funded until recently. And so they pretty much became unicorns without any government help Mm. and subsidy, However, the, gov- the government is pretty smart in actually not messing with the private funding. Where the government puts a lot of money, and huge amounts of money, is infrastructure building. So, for example, an the size of uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. a new city is being built with autonomous driving built in with downtown separated into two layers, pedestrian, pets, and bicycles on the top, and vehicles on the bottom. Folding Beijing. (laughs) For much better safety, Right, right? right? And then Zhejiang province is building sensors embedded in the roads, giving signals to cars to make them safer. So these infrastructure building, I would liken them with President Eisenhower's building of Interstate Highway, Uh, is the kind of thing that no private company can do. But uh, the public infrastructure, very expensive, lots lots of money. But I would argue that is the role of governments. I don't really see any wrongdoing in that.
0: Kai-Fu, I think what is missing in the way many people in the West understand China is that they don't really know how the party can set up powerful incentives for local officials. Can you talk about how that works with respect to technology policy? And is it wasteful or actually efficient?
2: Well, I'm hardly an expert in the area, but uh, I think um, Chinese uh, local government officials are selected on on a number of factors, uh, including their performance in the previous job, their competence um, and their um, uh, intelligence. So I think that is a good first step. And then uh, for the um, local government officials who um, start to work on projects, they realize they're essentially lifelong government officials. So if they start a really smart project that takes uh, 10 years to mature, they'll still be in the political system in 10 years and they'll be rewarded for it. So it's a little bit longer term in nature. And obviously, all officials want to, their local government to uh, build more great companies and get more taxes. But uh, often, uh, intermediate KPIs can be useful. Uh, uh, for, for official to get recognized and promoted. For example, if they start an industrial park and attract multinationals or domestic companies or top VCs and startups. So some energy is put into that so that uh, contribution to the local economy can be measured in a st- stepwise manner.
1: That's great. Uh, given the, in recent years, the new emphasis on ideology in China, how long is it going to be before somebody gets it in their head that AI could succeed where... Old socialist planning failed that sure you know the market was better at allocating resources uh, than the command economy was but wouldn't you know an amazing AI powered system for allocation of resources be ultimately better still I mean could they bring back you know socialism or even communism now that we have the power of deep learning
2: well, I, I can't speculate on that. Uh, who knows? Um, the, I would say the following. First, uh, government AI expertise is uh, not nearly as good as um, uh, industrial private, yeah. or private or academic, both in China and anywhere else. So that's probably f- much farther off if, if it's at all possible. Uh, there are examples in my book that talks about the interesting uses of AI in specific applications, such as uh, 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 ju- judicial Right. By the use of AI to ensure police interrogation, uh, reports are consistent with the actual interrogation itself using cameras and microphones, examples of using automatic methods to discover contrary evidence in the uh, plaintiff and defendant's uh, list of evidences, mm. uh, and in a sentencing assistant that gives the judge a range of um, proper sentencing given all the evidence uh, that's been presented. So these products are all commercially developed but are starting to be trialed by the government.
1: That's, that's great. I mean, you've been dismissive all along. I think of the whole, the nightmare scenarios that people have conjured up about Skynet, about armies of killer robots, and that sort of thing. But uh, in part because, of course, you know, as somebody who you know knows the technology well, just how far we are from general AI, right? We really are. Um, but you know, of course, you focus on the other dangers. Uh, before we talk about those other dangers, which of course is a major theme of your book, and I understand that that there are conversations happening around. AI ethics. There are conversations happening in China, but it's not like in the United States where our leading technologists and leading even, you know, basic scientists like the late Stephen Hawking, we're talking all the time about summoning the demon. My distinct sense is that, okay, sure, we we see this on occasional Weibo threads. Jeff Ding has pointed out where there are conversations happening in, you know, white papers written by CAS, CAS, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, Philosophy Scholars, uh, but why are Chinese so uninterested in having the conversations about about AI? What, what do you think is at at the heart of that?
2: Uh, I think even though China has had this Sputnik moment, the industry is um, uh, rocketing ahead. Most people are not yet aware of this, so you know, a history professor, a philosophy professor, are probably just beginning to touch the subject. So, I, so it's reached beyond the technical elite is uh, is uh, take, going to take time. Right. Second reason is I think uh, Chinese citizens in general sort of look to the government to solve a lot of problems, as opposed to feel like there is a um, um, uh, process where the, the brain trusts uh, produce ideas for the government to to consider. So they're kind of waiting for the government to come up with ideas or maybe ask for ideas. And I think Chinese government, like most governments,
1: haven't really done a lot in
2: policy setting in AI yet.
1: Mm Kai-Fu, I feel like I have to ask this because, you know, it's a comment that a good friend of mine made about your book. And I think you do need to talk to this. I mean, so your cancer scare, confronting your mortality, thinking about, you know, reprioritizing your life. It's made you, you know, contrite about having been such a workaholic. But aren't you investing in a lot of companies with that same kind of insane drive uh, and encouraging them, even if indirectly, to focus maniacally on their companies and their success, the 996 thing? Uh, isn't that what you, you decided wasn't good for your life? Are you making your investees do the same? <laughs> uh,
2: well, we as VCs uh, pick great entrepreneurs. We invest in them. And then uh, we look for results. I think um, entrepreneurs generally work very hard. We actually try to um, uh, mediate that by explaining to them results that matter. On weekends, we actually have sports activities so people would uh, uh, make sure they're fit and uh, we do the best that we can to explain that working hard isn't the most important. Um, It's not the uh, amount of activity that matters, it's the results that matter, so work smart. However, having said that, I acknowledge all of our entrepreneurs work very hard. Yeah, they should. And uh, it's not an area we push them into. We would like to think that we add a lot of value to the entrepreneurs we fund. And uh, we've actually uh, have five uh, AI unicorns uh, valued at 21 billion. So they've done very well. People are excited, they work hard. I hope the value that we contribute is we have the business sense, we, have the, we are the tech savvy, and uh, we introduce um, positive ethics and value, and we help the companies become better companies that way. It's possible we re- our entrepreneurs work 2% less than other entrepreneurs, or maybe they work the same, but I think our contribution isn't in reducing work hours, but in improving the quality of products and that they care about their users and they care about the positive values that they stand for.
1: That is fair enough. I wish we had more time with you. Uh, There's so much more that we would love to ask you, but uh, I want to thank you for making time today anyway. The book, again, is called AI Superpowers, China, the Silicon Valley, and the New World Order, and Kai-Fu Lee is, of course, the author. I cannot recommend it more highly. It's it's an incredibly informative uh, book, and it actually contains a great deal of, of real heartfelt wisdom. Uh, and it's terrifically written. Also, uh, before we pack up here, let's do recommendations very quickly. But first, I want to remind our listeners that the Cynical podcast is powered by SupChina. If you want to show your support for SupChina, for Cineca, and for the other podcasts we've added to our network, we'd love it if you would sign up for our premium access service, which gives you discounts and free admission to our live shows and other events, and ad-free versions of the Cineca podcast. Lots of other goodies, too. The other thing is, if you want to help us out, leave us a positive review on the iTunes store. It really helps people to discover the show. Okay, recommendations. Jeremy, kick us off real quick.
0: Uh, Okay, quickly, thanks to uh, sub-China reader Nathaniel Espino uh, for turning me on to the Lutheran insult generator i didn't know that uh luther was um, martin luther such a good insulter. Uh, insult yeah yeah the um you know religious dissident um you know <laughs> for example you are desperate thorough arch rascals murderers traitors liars the very scum of the most evil people on earth, you are so full of all the worst devils in hell. fool, fool, and so full that you can do nothing but vomit, throw, and blow out devils. So if you need an insult, um, the, the Lutheran insult generator and its uh, cousin, the Shakespearean insult generator.
1: Oh, great. I mean, it sounds like Wednesday evening on Reddit to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> great, great recommendation. <laughs> Insult generators. Kaifu, what do you have for us?
0: Okay,
2: well, since we're talking AI, I'll recommend a few sci-fi movies. Oh, some great. very mainstream, some, cool. some maybe less mainstream. I tried to pick the ones that are somewhat uh, realistic or at least have strong uh, lessons for us. Uh, I would pick the following movies. Uh, 2001, Space yes. Odyssey, uh, The Minority Report, mm-hmm. um, Robot and Frank. Yeah,
1: you, you recommended Robot and Frank last time. I I'd, hadn't gotten around to seeing it. I did, it, it got, to go, yeah. got to
2: go see that. Uh, Gattaca.
1: Yeah, Canada.
2: and finally, and um, my favorite, favorite, favorite is uh, all episodes of Black Mirror. Ah,
1: Black Mirror is is, is fantastic. And Great. I
2: hate Westworld.
1: <laughs> I will talk to you about that at, okay. at some point. Uh, okay, wonderful. Well, my my recommendation is actually for a person who is part of our, our little group of, of friends uh, who I've had the chance to spend some time with uh, recently when we were in Hanoi and in Tianjin. Alec Ash, who of course runs the the fantastic China Channel at uh, the LA Review of Books, but I, I want to recommend him just because he's somebody who with whom argument and discussion is truly productive. He's thoughtful and considerate, and uh, he's somebody who will never rise to bait and will always just be gentlemanly in discourse, and I'm I'm so impressed with him. I just find him such a pleasure. Let us all learn from Comrade Ash. Okay, that is my recommendation, and uh, thank you once again. Kaifu, fu I know you've got a super tight schedule. you got to run off, uh, and I'll take it out. The Seneca podcast is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldhorn and edited by me. Drop us an email at sineca at SubChina.com. Follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at, at SubChina News, and make sure to check out our other podcasts, the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices, and our latest member, China Econ Talk with Jordan Schneider. More shows coming soon. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Take care. Hey, hey.